Welcome to Every Quarter, the voice of Andover, Phillips Academy's official podcast, where we share the compelling stories, thoughts, and ideas of our faculty, alumni, students, and distinguished campus guests. Our monthly show features candid conversations on current events, academia, and Andover's connection to important matters happening around the world. Earlier this year, Every Quarter had the privilege of hosting a special conversation between Nancy Sizer and Louise Kennedy, class of 1976. Sizer taught at Andover in the 70s and 80s and was the spouse of renowned educational reformer and Phillips Academy's 12th head of school, Ted Sizer. Kennedy came to Andover in the first year of co-education and went on to serve as the first female editor of the Philippian, the Academy's student-run newspaper. This episode is like listening in on old friends reuniting after many years apart. They discuss the merger of Andover and Abbott Academies, what life was like on campus in the early 70s, and how students and faculty handled the transition. Their wide-ranging and fascinating talk is filled with personal stories, random tangents, and perspective that can only be gained from looking back on their time at Andover some 40 years later. All right, I'm uh, Nancy Sizer, and I was living at Andover and teaching there during the 70s and into the 80s. I'm Louise Kennedy. I came to Andover in the fall of 73 at the dawn of coeducation, and I graduated in 1976. When did the sort of serious conversation about Let's Go Coed, when did that start? It started well before they even heard of Ted Sizer. Uh huh. That was my sense that it was. And it was Johnny Kemper <clears throat> that said, We probably should do this. But, oh my God, that sounds like more work than I can imagine. He was getting sicker. He was married to an Abbott woman. He didn't want to um, go, in the not very noble words of. Um, Don McLean, go out and get our own dollies. They didn't want to do that. He said that to me once, and I hung up on him. Right after Ted got the job, so I thought, oh, Christ. What, what am I in I for, went. right? Well, luckily, he, he was sorry. And, when, and Ted started in So by the time Teddy was... Is that right? No. Yeah, 72. So that was only a year so before So they'd been doing happened. coordination. Right. And they were looking, when they were looking for him, for a new head of school... I don't think they would have taken somebody that didn't want to um, actually do the deal because they'd been doing coordination. And bit by bit, they'd been discovering that they could manage that. And that um, um, some of the teachers who, a lot of the most diehard teachers didn't really get the message until after the kids came and started winning them over. And then they did. to know what it was like for you and Ted. I mean, you come in 72, this is already underway, it's going to happen, but how how did the school seem to you in that first year that you were there, and how did it feel as it started to change? As Ted had been in the job for two weeks when he made the, sat down with Don Gordon and, and they worked it out. Two weeks? Two weeks. Wow. In July. And Don had been had hired with the notion that he was going to get Abbott ready for um, some kind of 
merger with PI. Um, Ted had, I believe, been appointed because they thought he had the youth and the energy and the kind of ability to jump where he couldn't quite see where his feet would land um, that they needed in, in that environment. And um, so it was going to happen. And the, the tough year was the year between... Um, the really tough year was the year between when the announcement and when we actually had to do it because it was unfair in a lot of ways. Um, How do you mean? There had to be a, a new vision of the of what schoolkeeping was, and schoolkeeping had been quite a different thing in both those places. It had been in some ways less hard on the faculty in one school and in other reasons less hard on the faculty in the other school. But everybody was aware of the fact that that meant when you were doing less work, you'd now have to do more work. Mm -hmm. Or, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, right, it was a culture shift for both faculties, right? It was, but the men came out better than the women did. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. Because what they did was up the ante on the women, but because Abbott had, had really hired housekeepers house counselors right and they were really more like housekeepers than house counselors mm, mm -hmm. so there were two things one was that the teachers weren't doing it and oh the i other never was realized that so the house counselors were not teachers at abbott i didn't know that they had a different kind of model right they right. had the model kind of like wellesley had when i went to mm, that sort of protecting the young ladies and right counting the sheets is what i thought um <laughs> they had wellesley but you know you wouldn't necessarily talk to anybody about what their life was like right and so. i don't think there was too much of that asked of um them and there were a number of women who thought uh that they had been in a boarding school but it hadn't really been like the kind of boarding school that asks you to care about these kids 24 hours a day uh-huh they'd somehow had a job which um you're listening to a woman who was married to a man that lived there so i always knew that maybe i didn't have it quite right hmm. but i, w I wonder because it's interesting because i had uh you know my house parents he was a faculty member and she was not this was the best um so they had eight children of their own, and suddenly she's responsible for, you know, a dorm full of girls. And I often thought, even then, I thought, wow, this is a lot for, to add on to her life, right? And not necessarily a job that she signed up for. I mean, she wasn't employed, I No, presume, she wasn't. But, you know, I mean, until she was, sort of, you know, dove in. And right. She found herself as the counselor to young women. That yeah. In, with and, that you know, she baked thing. a birthday cake for every single one of the girls in the Helen dorm. Helen did? Yeah. Good for her. And, uh, you know, and really was there for us. And, you know, and but also I think, you know, I think now people have so much more sort of psychological training or sort of child development mm -hmm. training or mm -hmm. sort of, you know, how to deal with adolescence and stuff. Yeah. But, you know, just as my parents didn't have any of that, I think the house parents didn't have any of that either. No. And you're dealing with this school in, you know, sort of calm turmoil, but turmoil, there's a lot going on. Yeah, right? and all the, and this question here about um, what do you suppose the kids felt when they were um, uh, being told to be gender blind, when in fact they might have had their own special interests and uh, needs because of the gender they were i just don't think we thought we didn't even that. think in those terms i i saw that question today and i was like 
wait, I'm one of those kids, and that question never crossed my mind. And and I think, I mean, I have to say, I wrote an essay once called My Life as a Boy, because I really was raised as a tomboy, and, you know, I was the oldest, and my father took me hunting with him, and I was his son in a lot of ways. And yeah. so in, in that sense, it was easy for me to be an Andover boy, right? But... Um, but I do think that there were issues of gender. Certainly when I was the first girl to run the Philippian, stuff came up, you know, and some of the boys who worked on the Philippian were not kind, would be a kind way to put it. thinking about all these issues and um, I came upon the the limericks or what do they call them the libretto or whatever uh, of the 10th anniversary of um, the merger huh so that's the 10th anniversary and some of it is very um, kind of self-satisfied and mm -hmm. if, you know we've got it made now I mean that's what you would be doing we were celebrating right exactly but then there are a couple of things in the middle, which the first one is is called, um, well, I guess it doesn't have, it's pre-merger. And then the second is, um, they're both pre-merger pre and being afraid of things. And then this one is, how do you cope with a new woman? So I, was, I think I should, <laughs> I need to read you a couple of these because I think they're sort of funny. Yes. them. <laughs> I did because oh. we, were, we were doing it. It was a faculty show we were giving for the kids. Um, so that would have been what 80, in eighty three. Eighty three, right? right? I was working there, but Ted wasn't anymore. Right, and um, and you probably had left. Oh yeah, I graduated in seventy six. So because yeah. I was in the first yeah class. Yeah, yeah. So jeepers! Yeah. Well, then you didn't do so badly being head of the Philippian, but I except you started as a kind of only only ninth grader or something. Yeah, I started in ninth grade, and I was I was one of twenty five ninth grade boarding girls, so there there weren't mm -hmm. very many of us. No, we didn't even have that many ninth grade. Right. So and for a little while we had quite right. A dip. It was really small. Yeah. So yeah, so I was a ninth grade girl, and then I skipped my lower year. So, oh. so I, so my father always said, <clears throat> I was the first girl ever to graduate from Andover without going to any other high school. I think that's true, actually. It probably but, would be. You know, because I, because I was graduating with people who had started as lowers, right? So they went to ninth grade somewhere else. So, so this was a faculty production for, faculty the, production for the students. For the students. Um, oh, uh, Tom Regan was a particularly funny one. We had men singing and women singing. Uh -huh. The men were acting like the kids, men, <laughs> and the women were acting like the kids, the women. Uh -huh. And I don't really think there's too much about the first part. It's all done to the music of um, Showboat. <laughs> and so there's... Old Van Phillips, that old man Phillips <laughs> right. for that one. But here, here's a couple of things. The men say, life upon the wicked hill is never what a boy supposes. Once those girls are here, the place will positively reek of roses. From afar, they said they'd prize us. Prize us. Now they want to civilize us. Remember how we used to say that about the, 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 the women were going to civilize right. the men? Right. Co-ed schools are not the place for growing men. 
Now I study, play, and sleep with once a term a small excursion. What if all these women constitute a really huge diversion? <laughs> Learning all about the female doesn't help to get you into Yale. <laughs> doesn't uh, Life upon this noble hill won't be the same again. And then, uh, then the girls say... Um, Oh, this is a good one. Life up on Andover Hill may not be what a girl supposes. Stage door Johnnies aren't waiting there with any gems or roses. Lots of boys have female thirst and, yet they say they were here first then. And <laughs> we might always be imposters in that place. This is certainly yeah. something we, um, we're nervous about. Mm-hmm. with the Abbott girls for the the new girls than there were with the boys? There were, but the boys, I was telling this to the kids too because I, I did a little retrospective on the co-education for a school meeting a while ago, maybe four years ago. And I said, well, the men were not helpful in the whole business of getting the two academy and the new girls together. Mm-hmm. They just weren't. Mm. Uh some of them were still, there were more than a few who liked it the way it used to be. Of the men, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. They didn't, um, it's funny because it certainly wasn't something where they weren't ever consulted. Mm-hmm. Uh, my daughter's not a tomboy and not the eldest in her family um, but she was a very very hard working student and she would not have have done as well at um, Abbott as she as she loved doing working yeah. incredibly hard um, at PA and she wouldn't have wanted to go to Wellesley on a bet and she um she was ready for a new world yeah. in which you were going to be spending a lot of time with men because you were going to be working. Right. She was very sure of that from very early. So the gender blind stuff, um, I think she probably has thought lots more about um, those issues now, maybe mm-hmm. because it's a lot of years later and everybody are sort of is sort of talking about it more. Um I've never had the feeling she wasn't happy to be a girl. No. Um, and... uh, uh, you know, I, I think she really has always been glad about that. So, but here was a school which had, had um, which just suited her. The, the sense of being asked to be a serious student and to, to rise to the occasion um, was really important and was really, you know, that, that, that there was no sense of we're going to go easy on you because you're a girl or we're, we're going to have different standards for you. It's, you are going to work as hard as any Andover student has ever worked and you can do it and you will succeed if you do it. That was really formative for me. And I think that is the, the plus side of gender blind, right? That you say, we are students, we are 
people learning to be adults, and we're doing it together. And it doesn't matter who you are, you're going to learn and you're going to do it. And, and I okay. think that balancing those two sides is really important to figure out. So here's what Ted thought. He, he had the feeling that we were both a, a, co- a single sex and a co-ed school. And that the dorms really needed to be where women would essentially be in, in charge of them. Um, I know in many, in many cases that wasn't quite possible yet because we didn't have a very large faculty of women and we didn't have women that were used to the notion that they'd come in and be in the dorm. So uh, of the Abbott people I knew, I think only Mary Menard in any kind of real way endorsed the life of a dorm. In my killer course, you know, mm-hmm. History 35, I had a regular time every week when I met people that felt like they um, needed to have something explained for a second or third mm-hmm. time. And it was almost inevitably all women. Oh, that's interesting. Um, but it was always you come if you want kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't something I had told people they had to do or any of that. But um, you offered it as if you need some extra help, you can come. And yeah. mostly girls asked for that. Yeah, they, they're they the ones I remember. Uh-huh. And... Um, um, it's kind of interesting because a lot of them are pretty loyal to the school these these days. Mm-hmm. I think they probably were had the means to be loyal to the school in the way the school loves loyalty, which is <laughs> ka-ching, ka-ching. Um, and yeah, I, but, I, and I wasn't too aware of that, uh, of, of that side of it uh, at the time because I just didn't know. Uh, So was fundraising not a huge part of the job? It was, uh, but it wasn't something where you offered extra help to the people that might one day want to give you, you know, a big gift. Mm -hmm. It was a huge part of the job, and I, um, I, there we did it. I mean, it Mm -hmm. doesn't have. Ted has a funny story. We were in Florida um, at spring vacation, and we were having lunch with old grads all the time. And we were at a, a, a fairly long table, maybe 20 people at it. I was at one end and Ted was at the other. And we were um, talking. And you know how sometimes when you're in two, two some type conversations, there suddenly is this kind of lull and you, and you can hear the person that's quite far away. So Ted heard me asking a, a man about his golf game. And, <laughs> and he stopped and he thought and he thought, Oh, she really loves me. <laughs> <laughs> Not a big golfer, are we? <laughs> and, you know, when I saw him again, he was giving me this huge beaming smile. I was thinking, what the heck did I just do? Because <laughs> he just knew I was about as interested in that as nothing. Um, but I don't know. I guess I was, he was... I, I mean, it was, he was perfectly next to a man. Right. I, I and, well, and you're good at small talk, I bet. I'm, so, I'm, yeah. I can, right. can do that That's if I right. need to. So, so, so there was, was plenty of that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was. Was fundraising affected by co-education? Were there people who said, I'll never give you another penny? Or were there people who said, this is great, I want to invest? There were both of them. I can. There was, there was one of those talk-in things that we did before I left. I guess that was maybe... Uh, after you'd left, but mm-hmm. um, and Mary Menard called this guy up and he said, "No, I haven't given a pen to that place, pen, a penny to that place since it went all girly." 
So <laughs> this is pretty funny, but there were also people who said, you know, women have the reputation of not being um, uh, generous to their schools, and I'm going to prove them wrong. I mean, I think that's what Donna very solidly was doing. I think some of the other early, early big gift type mm -hmm. people were doing it. Um, my friend who was the head of, of Dana Hall for a while said, women were taught once never to talk about um, uh, sex, death, and money. They're over the sex and death part. <laughs> She was trying to go to get money out of women for her all-girls school, and they were just saying, sorry, we give to my husband's school, so mm -hmm. we don't give to mine. Mm -hmm. He's the one that decides, and huh. that's where we do it. We do it uh, to the school that helped him to make the money that he's now about to give away. Hmm. I don't make that much money. That's the way they were talking about it. Uh, but that was a different school. But uh, And I, I think... Uh, I don't know if, uh, I suppose we lost about as much money as we got in those first generations, and now we've got people that make a good living themselves and are grateful to the school, and so they may be not the big givers, and those are the ones right. that inherited a lot or something. I guess we probably got our share of inherited kids. One thing Ted found out, he said, you know, alumni have girls too. <laughs> he said this to me sort of day, year three. Uh-huh. Right. I mean, I like was, I was an alumni kid, right. And and my father was unbelievably proud that he had a daughter at Andover. And, you know, amusingly enough, he had two daughters who went to Andover, and his two sons didn't get in. <laughs> so, so you know, it was his Andover girls, and I think he was proud of that. And I, you know, I know there were alumni who were happy. When I became the president of the Philippian, I got a letter from someone in, I don't know, the class of 1924 or something. You know, it seemed completely ancient and unthinkable oh, to me, yeah. congratulating me and wishing me success and Had talking about how great Philippian? it was. Yeah. Oh, and, you know, and I That's wish great. I had that letter. I don't have it, oh, but I, I remember one. it because I remember standing in the mailroom reading it and just thinking, this is really cool. This, <laughs> this is, is totally really, cool. you know, so that was, that was great. And um, I don't know. I I think, as with anything, right, there were mixed mixed feelings, but but for me anyway, the positive outweighed the negative. It was it was a, a huge shift for the school, I'm sure, and a huge shift for the girls who came. But it was you know they you didn't know. just call it androgynous; they called it Janus faced, hmm, uh, which is that Greek god or some kind of art piece that were these looking in two directions at right. once. Of course, I had to be told all what all that meant and <laughs> what it was and what it meant and all of this. And at the time, I had to work out what did I really think about this. I think we were thinking adding is good. Mm -hmm. I think we now believe that choosing is better, probably. Hmm. So it was the 70s, which I think had the highest divorce rate of any time we've ever had, oh, something like 73 or 4. I don't know what it is right now, but I know it was a time where there was an awful lot of rethinking the whole notion of what uh, you should you, you should do in terms of marriage. Uh, um, at Andover, we had um, the first year of coeducation. We all, as a faculty, just plunged ourselves into this project to see if we could make it work, and hardly thought about ourselves. And just were working, working, working. 
um, trying to anticipate problems, trying to take them on when we could see that they were happening, when we could see that the um, that uh, the boys were sometimes in, in, sort of essentially putting down the Abbott girls, um, and and making it harder for the Abbott girls and the and the uh, newcomers to figure out how to. You were in your place with your other twenty-four people that were in your same status. Well, we weren't new. all. No, we weren't all together. I mean, I was. Oh. There were eight girls on my floor who were all new. Yeah. But then there were upstairs from us, and actually, even there. I'm trying to think. There, there were Abbott girls upstairs from us, and, and 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 they were our, you know, our blue key mentors or whatever. This, this could have could have bothered me more than it did the girl, the girls or themselves or not. I don't know, but I I do think that there was a, a fair amount of getting used to each other and who has the right to be called an Andover person mm -hmm. and wh how selective was this set of admissions statistics versus that one, and all of that. I mean, I was shocked by the whole business that we had only gone to to sixty, sixty thirty yeah. seven percent after nine years. That, yeah, that, that was surprising that to me. That shocks Just, me. Yeah, um, I, I, I know that the plan was that you know sort of be move right up to to parity, and I know that we didn't quite get there in the year, in the ten years, but I I think we did get there shortly after that yeah. I don't know but um, I know that it was a question then I think of um, how do we take in girls without making families of boys feel like we've deserted them especially boys I guess whose parents had reason to hope that they could go there which would have been alumni people I guess um, how do we do this without garnering a whole lot of resentment Hmm. Sort of the way, the way you added charter right, schools that, without that, garnering that the girls, resentment to right. the, from the local pu public high school. How do you add something without making the people that w were part of a new, uh, the old way feel re rejected? I think that was one of the things. But it made us a little slower, probably. And um, anyway, um, this was an age when half the, not half, um, Forty percent of the new younger women were not taking their husband's name, and the others all had. Mm -hmm. um, there were wars on that issue. <laughs> yep. There were, and I was—I got away with it by being uh, by being everything. I was an old-fashioned wife who'd taken her husband's name. I worked. There, there was. Um, when Ted was being offered the job, I heard a rumor that they weren't sure they wanted me because I worked. Huh. So I went to meet the, what I thought were probably trustees' wives, and I was all ready with all my answers um, for because I had tried working full-time and it had been more than I could manage, and I was prepared to move back to part-time until the kids would get a little older. And I was ready to answer the question if that's what they wanted to ask, but um, they never did. They were hmm. too scared to, I guess. I don't know what they were, <laughs> but they were, they were, but I, it still hurt me in a way that I, that I could have hurt my husband by wanting to be who I wanted to be. And that did. I, I, wonder, I wonder what Hillary Clinton I wasn't would have for to say about that. <laughs> I wasn't for taking the Andover job at first. Really? No, I wasn't. Why? I didn't want to pour tea. I had been working in a public school in, in a city. 
I, I felt like I'd been doing the Lord's work. I wanted to keep on working. Um, I probably wanted to work. Um, I, I think I decided I didn't really want difficult students because I had teenagers in my uh, house and in my future. And I decided I would give a little break to myself professionally until I didn't have any reason to have a break at home. Uh, I think that was probably pretty smart. But anyway, I uh, I just felt that way. But I wanted my husband to get what he wanted. And increasingly, that's what he wanted. So hmm. um, I just figured, we'll just, we'll, we'll figure it out. And then, you know, uh, uh, Fritalis, without telling Ted, came over one afternoon and asked me if I wanted to work there the next year. Wow. Once the women came. Hmm. Girls came. Mm-hmm. Um, even though he needed an American history teacher more than a Chinese history teacher uh, but he would sort of let me work into American history if I would take it from Wayne Frederick first so I, I so did. you took History 35 with well I didn't write yeah, the I papers know, I know <laughs> I went to every single class um, and I learned a lot of a kind, and it was a kind of teaching I would never want to do myself. But I loved him. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I liked learning all that stuff because I was a teacher. It's a great, great course. I took it with Fritalis, and it was a, one of the best courses I ever took. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they it was it was fact stuffing, but mm-hmm. it, but it was um, but it was very. Uh, I had to have a lot of help with that in right. that in that particular department. And once I taught, I was able to teach pretty much the way I wanted to, hmm. more or less. And um, I guess I, when I went to a different school, I said to myself, I, you know, I've essentially been teaching the AP courses. I, I'm, right. I'm happy enough that my boss wants the AP course. I'll teach the other ones. Mm. Um, at that point, anyway. Um, so these were some of the issues, and it was. I think we finally, with the younger women who lo- would have looked down on me for taking my husband's name, um. I think they finally decided that um, you didn't have to slice up the world that way, that mm-hmm. there were lots more issues in, in the whole business of how to live in a changing world. Was there, was there a feeling of, of sisterhood among the women in the faculty? Did you have a sense of a women's community at Andover, or was that something hard to come by because of the tensions between Abbott and Andover, or because of I don't know what? I'm just curious what it was like it to be was, a woman in that community. Well, I'm sure it was different for different people, and that I wanted to make it happen, so therefore I was a little Pollyanna-ish about whether it really did. Mm-hmm. But I do think that... Um, We had this f- funny group called the Emma Goldman Society <laughs> in the history department. You really? Might have oh, heard about that. No, but I oh. love that. Well, uh, we, if I can't dance, I don't want to be in your revolution, right? Right, right. And um, so, who was in it? I need to know. This. Women. Uh, women were in it, uh-huh. and we were teasing Tom, who we thought didn't know enough about women, um, and didn't, at some points, think about them that way he was not a gender neutral guy um obviously Mm -hmm. uh but and he was 
he had a great deal of respect for for people that really wouldn't have wanted us there. Us there. I mean, Arthur B. Darling and people. These were the I tell you, these are the people that were on the edge on the edges of the walls of our history <laughs> department, and we got a big poster of Emma Goldman and gave it to him. <laughs> and I have to tell you a funny story that um, uh, Pat um, Edmonds said. I don't know why you chose. Emma Goldman. Well, we chose her because she was outrageous. She mm-hmm. was she was ridiculous, right? And she was assertive, and she had this nasty Alexander Berkman, who was a you know potential murderer, or maybe even really one, as her partner. And we used to call the people, the the men in our lives, we called in the Alexander Berkman Auxiliary. We were <laughs> the society; they were the auxiliary. And once in a while, we invited them to our parties, but. Not really, but we we came together partly uh, over a kind of a shower we gave her to Kathy Dalton when she was getting married. So, I mean, that's a very traditional female thing. So what we were doing is sort of standing up for ourselves as women, working women. It was not available to Eleanor Lyons, no matter how much we loved her. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was saying, um, change is coming, honey, and... Mm-hmm. You um, and it's not always going to be the meek and mild type that you might well prefer. But um, we've got a we've got a tongue in cheek. We've got a twinkle in our eye. Uh, but we're here. And sometimes I think they took us much more seriously than we took ourselves, actually, in some ways. But um, but. What I really wanted was for us to have the Ladies Benevolent Society people who were all, um, you know, holders-on type people because they're from the days when that was the only way you were on that hill was you were the daughter of somebody that had a, quote, real job or Mm -hmm. the wife of somebody that had a, quote, real job. Um, I was hoping that they could feel pride in what they'd been able to do for the Academy, all those many years, and we're still doing for the Academy, and that um, those of us who were also professional would take time to go to their meetings, whatever they were, and wouldn't be putting them down at all, um, and would respect the ways in which they wanted to work and be willing to take on the job, even though we had the other job too. Syllabilitio was a big example of that. I just wished we could kind of both find a way to feel useful on that hill. Mm. And a lot of them did work in the staff and felt like they were helping the school even if they wouldn't have worked there. Um, So, and of course, I just felt that they were the ones that in many ways had provided a lot of warmth to a lot of kids for many years. Mm -hmm. We had to understand that it wasn't a tea and sympathy thing, but people like Wendy Richards and people like mm-hmm. um, um, Sybil Wise were were very, very um, good educators mm. and um, had been for years in the way of counseling lonely kids and just keeping them company and noticing that it was their birthday and, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Um, yeah, I know Wendy played that role in my sister's life. And, uh, and well, she, by that and, time, she was partly professional. Yeah, I, I don't, I, you know, honestly, but I don't she know, had but been she, that way, right? For many and when years. I was there, I mean, she and Jack were really 
supportive for me and you know and I talked with him a lot about you know wanting to skip a year and and it was sort of a back and forth and frankly I wish I hadn't um I should have I would yeah. I, I would give anything for another year at Andover you know but but at the time it, I just wanted to get on with my life and sort of yeah and I decided it at the at the end of my first year and and I wasn't loving it yet and so I was like get me out of here and then by the time oh. I left I didn't want to leave but yeah. whatever uh-huh. um but I think I think she did. I think I think there were. You're right. Women who were who were providing that sort of comfort and warmth and. I think that the, as a, I was there, you know, uh, I wasn't head of uh, living in Phelps House anymore uh, for three my last three years there. Mm. Um, so then it was all professional and mm-hmm. um, uh, except I mean, I, yeah, it was all professional. I always did a lot of academic advising. You, did you, did you coach? I don't remember because athletics I were not really too. a part of my life. So, but um, I, I coached. Did, I did the Philippian as a sport. <laughs> right. But I never was a very good coach, and I was glad enough to give it up because it was the thing I was least good at hmm. when I went to a day school. Um, I was glad to read an extra book or or do the things I really knew. Right. I, so it was such a different time for girls girls and women's sports too. Um, well, we were we had to do that anyway. We right. were doing that for the whole time. That was that was what Ted raised money for. It was the changing around of the gym and the um, mm. uh, changing around of the com- com- commons. Yeah, right. A certain mm. amount. Huh. Um, it wasn't a new dorm or, or a lot of things. Mm. But and, we could only play field hockey. I would have loved to play ice hockey. <laughs> well, Lita played ice hockey. Yeah, but I don't think it existed when I was. No, there. you didn't yeah. because mm. she was. Um, she's a class of eighty four at Yale. Yeah, um, and she was the first. She couldn't skate, but uh-huh. they just put her in the goal and put the yeah. and packed all that all that stuff around her, and yep. <laughs> she was a mighty force by the time they finished backing it so she didn't so that's pretty much what she did Hmm. um yeah it's we were making progress probably not as quickly as some would like to and we were making progress on some of these issues that had had divided women maybe not as much as they might have liked to some people might have liked to and the real i think during the um um mcnamara years there was the brace center was started then and things like that. So that hadn't started in our time. Yeah, were were there women's studies classes? I don't think there were. Did that? Oh uh, well, as soon as Kathy and Tony were there, there were um, there was a certain amount of p- attention paid to it um, by them. Pretty much it from was the beginning. Pretty much brand new when I was at Yale too. It was just, a, and I, being a, a boy, thought I'm I'm not doing that. You know, and and. That's interesting, right? That there were women who thought, "Why would you do that?" That's ghettoizing. That's you know not taking right. it seriously. All of that. I and didn't take anything like that until mm-hmm. the summer federal institute thing that I did um, for par- for Wheeler, where I worked next. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we did do some changing around the curriculum. But once I felt I knew it, knew mm-hmm. anything. Um, but I've got a daughter who, of course, is a professor of women's studies, among other things. Right. Um, and where um, was American I? American history. Yeah. I'm sorry, what? Oh, I was just, I was. I just came across, it was a reporter of mine who interviewed someone talking about, I forget what subject in education, who said, and and my mentor, Lita Sizer. <laughs> and I thought, um, wow, but but she's a little kid. <laughs> no, 
no, she's not. She's been there such a long That's time right. now. You know, but it just it, you have those moments when you think, oh yeah, I'm really not young anymore. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so, I guess. That was great. I guess. Anyway. I sure do, but. resented it a little bit I think I felt like don't judge me as a girl judge me as a person but I also yeah and I didn't like the idea that that I I had this burden of representing all girls right I mean that's a lot to ask of a 15 year old that you have to be I mean I I I have perfectionism anyway but to feel like if I screw this up another girl's not going to get a chance that was really daunting and and I didn't feel particularly like like that was that's not what's interesting about me that's not you know and now I would say that of course that's part of who I am but at the time I was I wanted to be judged gender blind I still thought that was possible right that just treat me as a person right and I will say that because I you know did succeed in running the Philippian you know getting to do that and then when I went to Yale and then I didn't become the first woman to edit the Yale Daily News um, that happened the next year after me um, in a way that was good for me because it taught me that, you know what, you might be really good at something and still people will judge you because you're a girl. I actually had a classmate whom I considered a friend at Yale tell me that he thought I was better qualified, but he had voted against me because he didn't think the Yale Daily News was ready for a woman. So hmm. that was one of the best lessons I'll ever get in my life, right? That you think you're doing a good job, you are doing a good job, that might not matter to everybody in the world, you know? Well, and it wasn't, he was insulting Yale more than he was insulting <laughs> you, right? Well, I guess that's right, that it would it would be, they couldn't handle it, right? Yeah. But it also, it affected me. I so, think, yeah. I think he probably and he was might, he might be right. That, oh, I think I he him. was. I mean, he was a friend, you know, so he wasn't saying it to hurt me or to build, and he's, he started it by saying he thought I was qualified, right? But it that was a moment in my formation as a feminist, right? That, oh, you know, it's not enough to be good. It's, we have to fight for change. That's very Uh-oh, interesting. Oh, I just made a political statement. <laughs> I, I think that's... No, no, I, we do, you know, I think that, that, that at Andover, the advantage was that I felt like I can do anything that a boy can do. And then to go to a college and then a world that said, yeah, yeah, well, maybe you can, but that doesn't mean you're going to be allowed to. I needed to learn that too. But it's yeah, I think it's so interesting that whole topic, and it's really it, you can bring it back to Andover again. It's it's about the world, and how ready it is um, for certain kinds of changes. Mm-hmm. Um, changes in power. Changes in trusting women to wield power. We know that that's recently been hard for us. Right. Um, so we're looking at the world and we're trying to think, how fast can we push this on them? Mm-hmm. How um, reasonable is it? Um, and how, and how can we make them want it almost, right? How right. Can, because that's what's hard is that, and, that, that we we always have to be thinking about how do we how do we make this palatable to you rather than just how do we do it we, how and, do we do it but how do we how do we get you to agree that we we can and should do it how do we um make it seem pretty obvious to you that you need this 
I'd be really interested to know what, what it feels like to be a girl at Andover now, what it feels like to be a woman teaching at Andover now. I'm sure it is very different, you know. And I wonder what they, I wonder what they think of us, you know. <laughs> what, and listening to us talking about it, does it sound like a different planet or is it a planet they can dimly recognize, um, you know? We, I don't we know. had that controversial article in the bulletin or something a few years ago. I was interviewed for that. Now, where was I strolling when I, I was interviewed? Where did I live then? <laughs> How many years ago? What was this controversial article? Did I miss this? I thought I was a religious I reader. think it was here. I think it was, I was living here, which means that it was yes. three years ago? Yeah, or? It was after Ted passed that it was written. Yes, but I didn't live here for a while after, after he, uh, yeah. Anyway, um, there were avid women that were furious or something, and there were I don't know about the um, uh, I don't know about the women um, then. It, 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 it characterized um, it characterized Andover as more academically rigorous, mm -hmm. and it also used as an assumption um, the idea that um, the Abbott girls who came in weren't. Weren't as strong academically, yeah. Prepared. I do, yeah. Um, and then um, there were a few just basic factual errors, and I think mm -hmm. the combination of those three right. really um, awoke this old feeling that um, had come about during the merger that Abbott was actually just being uh, consumed and erased from the mm -hmm. face of the planet. Yeah. And yeah. And I think that's where some of the resentment from the Abbott girls came to the new girls, that we were participating in that erasure, you know, that we were we were signing on to this new project and, and throwing them aside and not valuing what they valued, you know. And I would have glimpses of sort of, well, that, it was, that Abbott was a different school from Andover and maybe there was some nice stuff there that we didn't have and like Abbott tea and, you know, sort of, sort of Abbott traditions that didn't really come forward maybe as much as they could have in, in the new school um, and, and sort of wondering, well, what that would have been like, but also thinking, well, that was then and this is a new era. So I probably was, you know, not, not as... I wasn't paying attention to Abbott. I wasn't at Abbott. I was at Andover. And and I think that, you know, I think we new girls didn't really understand how that was painful to the girls who in some sense had lost their school, right? Um, and I think that I, looking back on that, it would have been great to figure out some way to, I mean, I don't think we could have done it ourselves. I think that would have been a job for the faculty yeah. to help us talk with each other in a more thoughtful way and to to understand each other's perspectives in a more thoughtful way maybe um this is what i when i at the very beginning when i said probably ted was fooling himself a little when he said those kinds of conversations can happen where the school is still single sex mm. um and let because quite a lot of the sports were single sex as um all the dorms were um, usually they were trying to have um, women somewhere near the children um, if they were in the dorm with mm -hmm. them. Um, and we did do a good job with with quite a few of the 
of the places where we were beginning to open up that you can really talk to adults about stuff that's troubling you and stuff. Mm -hmm. I did take a course called Human Awareness, which was basically that, right? Mm. It was sort of, you know, we journaled at a time when I don't think it was a verb yet, you yeah. know, and, and then we talked about stuff, and it was really just sort of, I guess it was consciousness raising and sort of talking about life, and, you know, I don't know that that's, it didn't feel particularly academic to me, but it also, that I did that in my first winter, and it was a good thing for me to have in what was a tough winter you know it's interesting human awareness human awareness and it was at the the i'm forgetting the name of the house where the sort of counseling oh yeah services the graham were. house graham house exactly yeah. and i i think it vanished pretty soon after that it was a very 70s kind of course but i think it you know, had well, a softer it, feeling to yeah. it and a, and a more kind of you can say anything feeling and i think it was a little bit of a refuge in a rigorous academic environment so that's well, good for you for taking it. <laughs> yeah, you know? I wonder why I did. Yeah, <laughs> I do too, but I'm glad you did. I mean, I'm glad that, I did too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it, I think it was helpful, you know. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Hmm. Well, for years after we were there, we were still doing an awful lot of that fact-stuffing. And it was David Evans who had all this prestige because he taught at Eaton, <laughs> who came and said, I can't figure out why you do this. <laughs> you know, And he was so much better than we were being. And we looked at each other and we just said, if we keep quiet right now, there's going to be a little crack in that door. And when he goes back to England, we can cut through that crack. And we did. I mean, that's, that's why we changed the course. Now, do you think it was a coincidence that a man was heard in a way that women weren't just asking? I think the Eaton part was more important mm -hmm. than mm -hmm. the man part. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I really do. Yeah. Um, because I think the way they thought was we would need to be world class. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing like an Englishman, to, mm. that English accent. But if accent. it had been in an English girls' school... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but prestige. I mean, that's, that's true. Yeah. Eaton was a boys' school, st yeah. still in and was still later. all boys, right? Wasn't it? Yeah, still is. I think. Yeah, yeah. But Ted and I were invited by David to visit him there, and we did. And and at we were taken to lunch, and 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 they drink hard liquor at lunch. The teachers <laughs> do. No wonder they are find it kind of fluent to talk about life. Right, big issues. <laughs> Who wants to get mixed up in railroad yeah. regulation? Details, schmeetails, as right. mine often says. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I I think um, the whole world has grown. Mm -hmm. We had Kathy and Tony with their more modern PhDs than the. We didn't mostly have PhDs. We were bright as hell, but we didn't, and we mm -hmm. knew a lot. Uh, there's nothing that knows more than one of these very proud prep school um, history, American history teachers. Wow, they just do know their stuff. And they, I mean, my son-in-law has got a PhD and um, taught in colleges for a long while, and then he taught in a, a school like, like Andover, except it's a day school. And he said, wow, <laughs> you know, he, and now he's just like them. I mean, he just knows absolutely everything about things. So 
and that's great that they do, but it's what's what you really have to think about is this kid is 16. I mean, which part of that stuff do you really want him to be working over at this point in his life? Um, and uh, and and let's let's really try to figure out what he know what he knows when he says some of these more general things, because mm -hmm. it's right. Some people don't know a thing; they just say it. But. Um, other people really have done, been doing some thinking mm -hmm. um, about what it actually means. And they've been asked to do that thinking in their classes by having more chance to talk and more chance to argue and more chance to listen and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, for me, that class was novel and drama with Kelly Wise. That's you know, right. That's where I learned to think. Mm -hmm. right? and Judy feels that same way. Yeah. I mean, it just was... Except she was so yeah. terrified the whole time she didn't open was her she? mouth for... <laughs> Months. For some reason, I wasn't, and I don't know why, because I should have been. You were, well, you were getting practice over there. In the, yeah, it's true. He was. You he, took it as a yeah, senior, yeah. probably. Uh, yeah. So did she. I took it as spring of junior year and then fall of senior year, something like that. But anyway, but and and Kelly, on oh, my first papers, he tore them apart. Mm -hmm. I mean, just tore them apart. But then I sort of got it, you know, mm -hmm. and then it, and it was just the scales fell from my eyes. I mean, and I've told him that, that it, I... I learned how to write in that room, yeah. you know, and it was this kind of really rigorous, deep, thoughtful thinking and engagement and argument and, and conversation with other students and, you know, him sort of batting us around, but it was, it was that, amazing. Have you, know? you seen the, um, uh, what is it, was it called? It's called a slide tape that we did. In their time, it was called, and we did it for the. Um, uh, I probably got it here. Uh, if we did it for the bicentennial, so then oh, we went I after did, her I time. did, but I came back for the bicentennial. There's, there's and I think a, I saw it then, a, a clip it in there weird. of Kelly teaching uh, this wonderful woman called Elizabeth Sidorides, who was, but also Tommy French being really ratted around by by Tom by, <laughs> by um, yeah. Kelly. Um, uh, it's exactly what she was describing. Oh, I'd love to see that. Oh, it it really is. Uh, a, it's it's wonderful. It's it's That's great. A woman named Joyce Chopra did that. Yes. No, I do remember yeah. that. She's, yeah. Right. She's and she's a great good. filmmaker. Yeah. Yeah. She's so, a great filmmaker. You know, I was involved with the IRT for a while because of Kelly. I couldn't say no to him. But um, oh, yeah. yeah. So which yeah, I, think I think is a I great cause. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, um, do you think that that having women on the faculty changed changed Teaching and oh, change. Of course, it, of course did. it did, right? Mm -hmm. Of course it did. And especially um, uh, over time when when they were not the Emma Goldman Society anymore, they were the chairman of the department or something. <laughs> you know, and uh, uh, we didn't have to have somebody outrageous just to, sh sh just to insist on some change. We could just kind of have the more recent doctorate or um, have studied uh, with somebody that everybody admired. and Whatever it was, we came into our own, I think, as a group of people. And I, it's hard for me to know, um, but last year I went to one of those um, retirement things. I think it was for Kathy. And I was talking to the chairman of the department about um, 
about this movie called Most Likely to Succeed. Which, oh, yeah. And uh, he was saying we were thinking about things we can do in the department that will actually shake things up a bit. Um, you know, of course, they... And there, it was... I, th I was listening to him talk about the things he was thinking of doing and the time period he would be setting aside for it, and it had to do with new ways of assessing and new ways of assigning things, what to assign and out of which kinds of sources and all these things. And I think to myself, I'm sitting in David Davis Hall and I'm talking about school reform. And I talk about school reform in a million places these days, but never in Davis Hall before. <laughs> am I? Where am I? Just where am I? Every Quarter is produced by the Office of Communication at Phillips Academy in Andover and made possible by a grant from the Abbott Academy Association, continuing Abbott's tradition of boldness, innovation, and caring. Like what you've heard? Spread the word. Share EQ with friends and connect with us with hashtag EveryQuarterPodcast. You can also find us at podcast.andover.edu. Thanks for listening. I'm Jesse Wallner.